Hello, and welcome to The Cocktail Hour with me, your host, Erin Folk. The Cocktail Hour is a place where we celebrate women in business who are shaking shit up. This week, we are talking to Dr. Allison Edwards, founder and primary care physician of Kansas City Direct Primary Care. Welcome. Hello. I'm so excited you're here. This is going to be exciting. This is fun. Uh, this is really fun. We actually spent about half an hour talking before this. That's correct. So we're acting like we haven't been talking, but we're like really deep into we're talking. We're in the middle of a conversation right now. <laughs> we were like, we should actually start the podcast as we get yes. on the podcast. So, okay, let's tell everybody who you are, Good. even though they probably all know. Dr. Allison Edwards aims to change the manner in which healthcare is delivered, putting the emphasis on keeping people well rather than solely stepping in and treating the sick. Her professional interests and areas of expertise include public health, women's health, preventative medicine, and emergency medicine. Originally from Lawrence, Dr. Edwards spent her undergraduate years at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa, before returning to Kansas City for medical school at the University of Kansas. From there, she completed a residency and served as chief resident at the University of Colorado in Denver, Colorado, providing care. Oh, and is currently board certified. So you were in Denver, Colorado, and now you are currently board certified by the American Board of Family Medicine. In addition to providing care at KCDPC, which is your company. That's correct. She volunteers at the JDOC Free Clinic and serves as a volunteer clinical assistant professor for the University of Kansas and a volunteer clinical instructor for the University of Colorado, allowing her to continue to educate the next generation of healers. In her free time, she loves spending time with family and pursuing hobbies, including photography. Oh, I didn't know that. That's fun. Travel, gardening, cooking, being outdoors, and reading the newspaper over a cup of coffee. Welcome. Thank you, Erin. Old school newspaper? Like for real, like dirty hands, gross black like you know that gross yeah. newspaper feel oh yeah for sure do you get it delivered to your yes. house every day not every day just on Sundays just the Sunday one. yeah I mean I would oh my god my type a would get too weird if I got the paper every day I would try and read it every day I would <laughs> lose thing. my mind top to front although like it is very thin these days wait do you read the digital newspaper as well no you just like the paper paper I like the paper paper wow because here's why I, okay, well, tell me. yeah maybe um I uh, I am an old soul, I think. I'm a conspiracy theorist. Deep down inside, I'm an yes. old, old man, and I'm, like, shaking my fist at kids standing on my lawn. That is who I am. What about the balloons in Kansas City the other day? What balloons? Did you not see this? That no. people truly believe that they were aliens? Oh, I did see a tweet about that from yeah. the Weather Service. Um, I'm not that old. Not not that not conspiracy that, theory. No, that, I'm not okay. conspiracy theory old. I'm just like, well, maybe. Here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> is I'm tired of my... Um, news being curated by algorithms and so I get the newspaper because I actually read things that I would otherwise not or skim articles or like it just I, it, it enables me to continue to have like a wide breadth of news that's all do you not think that the newspaper is uh, a little bit <laughs> biased? biased yeah yeah for real but like less so than me clicking likes and then getting shown like the exact same thing over and over and over on Twitter or like Facebook or something like that wow yeah okay, that's an interesting theory yeah plus uh my technology is incredibly distracting. <laughs> okay. And so if I try and be intelligent or do anything on my phone or computer, I am immediately sucked into like, you know, any vortex of email and just, oh God, so much. So like being able to like, like not connect and have a cup of coffee and just sit and think and think like real deep thoughts and stuff. Yeah. As I'm reading the newspaper. Have you always been a newspaper reader? Mm-hmm. Like as a kid, yeah. Okay. Stuff. So this but is not, just... not like, a, like, don't get an image of me as five years, like a five year Outside old. with your coffee. <laughs> yeah, like pushing my glasses up my <laughs> nose. No, but like it was, it was always at our house and I read it before school, like in high school and things like that. And then you so. became a doctor. Let's tell people who you are. Yeah. Okay. So 
I know you. We met. God, how did we meet? We met. Networking. Networking. Is that where we originally met? I think so. I remember I met you. And then uh, we met again at a networking. You were like in a cohort, a non-tech cohort. Uh, who knows? Yes. Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and I right. came because right. the guy that was speaking was yeah. from Atlanta and yes. had a big marketing agency. Yes, 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 yes. So yes. I came to see it That's and right. we ran into each other. Yes, I forget all the things that chatting. happened in life. Yes. So when I first met you, I actually came over to your space. You did. Tell people kind of what um, KCDPC that's what you call it for short. Well, it's still a mouthful. Even though Kansas City Direct Primary Care. Correct. Yeah. Tell people what Kansas City Direct Primary Care is. So thank you for the intro. Yes. I probably need to tighten up that bio a little. No, <laughs> it's, it's great. I like um, the newspaper part. It's my fave. Good. Uh, it, so when I finished up my residency training, I was really burnt out on being a doctor. Um, actually, and I was a waitress for like eight years or server, I should say, uh, eight years before going into medicine in that whole world. And by the time I got done with my doctor training, I was like, oh my God, I'm going, I'm being a waitress again. Like I'm done. I like, I can't be a doctor. This, this is a crazy, crazy world to live in. Um, and a lot of that was because when I was a server, my and I tell this story, this is the story that I, I share with people that to sort of illustrate why I'm doing what I'm doing. But when I was a server, my boss one day asked, you know, do you know who you work for? Which is a hilarious question from your boss. And yeah. I was like 16 when he asked. So I was like, I, you, I don't know. And he said, no, you work for the person who signs your paycheck. And when you're a server, your paycheck, your wages are so small that ultimately the person signing your paycheck is your client, your, right? You know, your customer, the customer. sitting there at, at, your, at your table. And it, it didn't really settle in and occur to me until much, much, much later when I was, you know, getting burnt out on medicine that as a physician, the person who signs your paycheck is a major insurance company or a large corporation. It's never your patient. Right. Or at least traditionally it's not. And so that was massively informative. And I was like, well, if I really want to work for my patients, my patients have to pay me. Right. I have to be, you know, my interests have to align with theirs, which is how I found direct primary care. And so instead of billing insurance for what I, my services, for what I do, I contract directly with my patients to pay a flat monthly fee. It's a retainer, essentially is the way to think about it, or like a gym membership or something like that. And for that, they can come in and see me as many times as they want or email or call. And so it, it really, um, aligns what I'm doing with what my patients want. So you're kind of disrupting That's the it, medical, yeah. yeah, the medical industry as is. Yeah, trying. All right, and we're gonna get to that. First, I want to tell people. Okay, why did you? You grew up in Lawrence, correct? And did you always know you want to be a doctor? Uh, no, I think I always knew that I wanted to be impressive. Okay. <laughs> Which it's like doctors impressive? Yes. No, no. But but I, I say that it sounds like a jerk thing. But like I think uh, with with kids when you, you know when you're raising kids and setting expectations and saying you know you're going to achieve you're going to do this you're going to do this like that was set for me, yeah. and so I only saw the options for a career of like doctor, lawyer, architect like that that was what I had internalized, um, without really having a passion behind it or knowing why I was wanting to do those things, um, and so it it partly through my training. I was like, oh my God, why did I choose to be a doctor? And I was like, oh crap. It's because I just wanted people to be impressed by me. Yeah. It was like, oh geez, like I'm, I'm stuck. Now I have yeah. to be a doctor, um, which is which is great. And I actually, I'm very passionate about my career and love what I do. Um, but it, you know, you can tell, like I, I left the system, right? It wasn't the actual act of being a doctor in a hospital that was appealing to yeah. me. It was the act of connecting with people that was appealing to me, but took, you know, a decade for me to figure that out. Okay, so you go, did you go straight from high school to college mm -hmm. yep. and then straight to 
I took a year off after college. Okay. um, And exclusively served tables. It was awesome. And, but you did pre-med and undergrad? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And um, when you go to, so let me just explain to you and our listeners, the extent of my knowledge of being a doctor is Grey's Anatomy. Oh, it's all, it's all true. You know that. It's 100% true, right? (laughs) And you look like you could be on the show. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I had to decline the contract when they offered it. But essentially, so Grey's Anatomy, which I know is not really what medical school is. On Grey's Anatomy, they, while they're in school, they choose different, uh, different practices, right? Sure. And they kind of go through all that. When you first started medical school, did you know what kind of doctor you wanted to be? Oh, I'm such a boring guest. I like, no. Well, so I, not I kind of knew what I wanted to be, um, but it was because my mom told me, I'm such an impressionable person, I think is what this reveals. Uh, my mom was like, you know, there's this loan repayment program. And if you, if you apply and, you know, sign up for it right at the beginning, they will get rid of all of your student loans, but you have to do primary care. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I, I feel like, I don't know, like I, I want to do that. I'm interested in, you know, population health and all that stuff that you had listed previously. Um, but I was like, man, do I really want to commit myself to that? You know, from the very beginning without having any experience or any training. And right. so, you know, cause mom knows best or apparently I take my mom's advice. Cause she's well, no loans is good advice. I, I know. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't register quite like that when I was at that age. All <laughs> yeah. I could hear was like, I'm being trapped. I'm being trapped. Yeah. I have to do primary care. So I, I signed up for it and, uh, it has been a godsend. It has allowed me to open up my own business. So you didn't have student loans cause you went into primary care cause that program. Correct. Yep. Any student loans? My all my medical school is repaid by the state of Kansas on a wow. one-to-one forgiveness. So for every year I work in an underserved county in Kansas, I get one year of my medical school training paid off. So how did your mom know about that program? Is she a doctor? No, she's she's a third grade teacher. Oh. She's just a really smart third grade teacher. Did you know? was she researching because you were going to be a doctor? You no, know, probably it probably was in one of those like packets of information or something I had found out about. Um, and since it was on my radar, but yeah, no, she had really pushed me that that was going to be the smartest decision. Was dad a doctor? Nope. My dad is a lawyer. He's a state, he works for the state board of tax appeal. So if any of your listeners have property tax claims that oh. they like to take up with the state, you can meet my father. <laughs> so anybody in the family a doctor? No, nobody. You just said you want to be a doctor. I, I mean, no, I said I wanted to be impressive. impressive. But a lawyer is impressive. I mean, right. Yeah. The problem with, uh, I actually interned in an architecture firm and I totally fell asleep like all throughout the internship in high school. I was like, not my job. So not an architect, not an architect. Why not a lawyer? Um, mm, good question. Do you have any lawyers that listen to this? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe one. <laughs> maybe one. Um, I just, I think that I, I thought that maybe physician was a more noble cause. Okay. That I don't and your think, dad was a lawyer. And my dad's a lawyer. So it was too close. And also, I think lawyers are fantastic. And right. I actually, you know, have a lot of lawyers in my sphere of influence. Your friend, this is an election. Yes. Okay, good. You can just say what you think. <laughs> no, I mean, I, th- I find it interesting mm-hmm. because I think, so I've got a seven-year-old who, when you ask her what she wants to be when she grows up, she says a doctor. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she says she wants to go to Harvard. Both of which of I don't course. know how she no, knows, it's, right? It's in the air. It seeps right. in your pores. Like, that's... When I worked in Kenya briefly, I, um, you would ask the kids there, you're like, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they would say, um, pastor, because that is the person of power and influence in their community. Oh, wow. And so it's just kids know who has power and influence and they gravitate towards it. What were you doing in Kenya? It was like a month long, like medical mission trip type thing uh, in between college and med school. And it cemented the fact that I 
uh, am never going to be very good at doing international mission work. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> is that? like as a little white girl who's like wandering around and, you know, I was just getting screwed left and right on pricing and bribes and oh. like all sorts of stuff. And I was like, man, I'm not doing this. You're very saying yes like, to everything, not yes, negotiating. Yes. And I was like, I, you know, I was like, this is not um, effective. And besides, there's so much need here in the U.S. So I was like, right. I think we can make an impact, you know, back home in a culture that I get. Which is essentially what you're doing. So you have cut out the middleman. Correct. You have patients that come to you. So they so they already know what their medical cost is going to be because they have a retainer. Correct. And so they can come to you whether they just have a sniffle or it's something bigger. Yeah. No surgery, correct? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I try to avoid doing surgery in my office. Okay. But we can do small surgery. like uh, You do small surgery. Yeah, in like office. skin tag removal or lipoma removals and stuff like that. And then, so what does this mean when it comes to insurance companies? What yeah. do your patients, especially now that we have these things where there's like tax, you get taxed if you don't have insurance. Which, what does this mean? I mean, that? theoretically is not being enforced anymore. So, oh, it's not. Yeah, throw that into your wheelhouse. Um, I can't keep up with taxes. No, and the Trump administration kind of, uh, changed it uh, after they came into office um, for insurance. So insurance is tough. When I think about insurance, like if, like just as a consumer from a conceptual standpoint, insurance is theoretically a financial protection product that is designed to help you avoid a catastrophic financial loss, right? right? Like if your house burns down, your insurance should help you step up and like rebuild or whatever. Um, so that's insurance, right? Health quote unquote insurance is not an insurance product at all. It's a health management like bundle, if you will, because you're asking your insurance company currently, the way that we have it structured, we're asking our insurance companies to pay for everything, not catastrophic financial losses. So we're asking them to pay for things that are actually quite affordable. And so when we do that, I mean, can you imagine getting groceries through an insurance company? (laughs) It would be brutal. Can you imagine getting gas or your wiper blades from your car insurance company? Like the prior authorizations and you'd be declined and you picked the wrong brand and you went to the quick trip when really you're supposed to go to the shell. Like like when you ask insurance to pay for things, like you get the system that we have. So I tell my patients like you need, you need a financial protection product because ultimately I'm a primary care doctor. I can only take care of so many things, right? right? Primary care. It's, it's generally, it's like 80 to 90% of someone's healthcare needs, you know, over their lifetime or or a given year. So it's, it's quite a bit. And the majority of people don't need more than primary care. But something happens, you need surgery, cancer, all the scary things that we worry about, you do need something. And so that's what I recommend is to get something that's more on that catastrophic level, high deductible, whatever makes sense there. How do you think the system got so screwed up? Oh, girl, how much time do you have? Well, 40 more minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we could talk for a long time. Um, Did you research this before you started your company? Oh, yeah. How the system? Okay, oh. so well, based yeah. off your educated yes. guesses well, and, and research. And I think I was, uh, you know, very early in medical school realizing that this system is crazy. Um, but it's also... Do you learn about insurance in medical uh, school? I mean, kind of. Okay. You don't really learn about business in medical school. Yeah. Which is why doctors are terrible business people. That's, I've also heard that about like dentists, chiropractors, yeah. like anything where you're good at a skill does not make you a business person. New. No, right? New. No. And I've seen many doctors um, fall flat on their face. Um, but no, the, the insurance industry is fascinating because, so insurance, as we, as we kind of conceptualize it, started back like almost 100 years ago in the 1920s, 1930s, when a group of teachers in Texas, I'm going to say Baylor, um, era, I think they were associated with like Baylor Hospital or something. Everything happens crazy in Waco, by the way. Okay, you know, maybe it was a Waco. I hope it was. <laughs> it probably Waco was Waco. Waco is like... 
Baby. Crazy stuff in Waco. I lived in Texas for a long time and every crazy story would be like, I bet it was Waco. I have to be honest, Texas is my least favorite state. Oh, I love Dallas. I'm sorry. When I was living in Dallas, do you remember, um, and you might be too young to remember this, but like one of Baylor's basketball players just went missing. Just went missing. And then it came out later Hmm. that one of his teammates shot him in a field. Oh, like just crazy stuff and that was not too many years after the cult thing yeah 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 like there was just always crazy stuff going on See, down there this is not texas doesn't put out a very good, good like for yeah you know they need thing. a marketing professional like yourself <laughs> to help their image because Especially i think waco. texas is terrible well now i think that joanna Gaines, she's kind of helped waco oh she from waco yeah she oh, only so does work in joe uh work in waco too oh, really like she wouldn't even do j-lo's house Oh yeah. Oh. See if you followed oh. your Facebook news, you would oh. know these things. See, it wasn't in the New York Times. Okay, so <laughs> it wasn't in the newspaper. So, so it, maybe Baylor. Okay, maybe Baylor. Nurse, whatever. Or teachers. teachers. So there's like a teachers union, and they were like, you know, our healthcare costs are like, and medicine was actually pretty crummy in the 1920s right mm-hmm. like there wasn't really much we could do yeah. um antibiotics weren't invented and things like that but regardless they were like let's pool our money let's create like a pool so that if one of us gets sick you know the rest of us will pay for it like in a co-op fashion okay and so that became blue cross blue shield eventually oh. so that started in the 1920s and so but if you fast blue forward, cross blue shield the oldest insurance company ever then yeah yeah wow I didn't know it that. might not have been called blue Cross blue shield at the time but yeah. that's sort of the beginnings of that um, fast forward to World War II, when everybody came back from the war, there were uh, wage controls put in place, so you couldn't really w- uh, raise wages. And so then this like hilarious little concept of benefits came about, where in order to entice people to work for a company, they're like, well, we're gonna we're gonna create these benefits, and the government was like, all right, well, you can provide these benefits, and we won't tax the amount that's you know that you're spending on these benefits. So this is where, you know, retirement got associated with your job. Health insurance got associated with your job. Like all these things got tied to employment with the wage controls after World War II. And then from there, it just sort of has has exploded. And it's sort of like a snowball rolling down the hill, picking up a bunch of crap in that, like the foundation was laid at that point that your employment was going to be tied to your insurance. And, you know, now we're at, you know, 60, 70 years after this, where, employers are now running healthcare companies because their healthcare costs are so high because we've now for we're the only industrialized nation that does this we've tied insurance benefits to employment we're also one of the one of there's there's another nation mexico that doesn't do universal health care as a western nation that's a whole nother conversation but like we're in this mess because of like little small incremental things that we thought were good ideas at the time had these like very long-standing like negative consequences and people with money and people with money took them the 1% took them mm-hmm. and ran with them, right? Yeah. Because you're able to do more at a higher level yeah. and then get the kickbacks. Yeah. The number of, so, so healthcare costs in the United States comprise 20% of our GDP. In plain English, one in $5 in the United States is spent on healthcare. That is a lot of money. And so when you talk about, like when you talk to politicians or you talk to anybody about like, oh, we need to reduce costs in healthcare or we need to you know, disrupt the pharmaceutical industry or anything like that like that's insane you're asking to you're interrupting a fifth of our economy yeah and so there's no real incentive for politicians to disrupt like who wants to disrupt a fifth of the of the economy right right? so that incentive is is not really there plus i mean everybody works in healthcare, so you're like if you start to actually reduce costs you kind of cut out administration you cut out like a lot of stuff and so it's a super sticky um subject and, and there's not an easy answer but what we're trying to do is essentially like rebuild the patient physician relationship and like treat people like humans which yeah. i think matters 
Do you remember when Chris Rock said that they'll probably never come up with a cure for cancer because the uh, <laughs> the profit is not in the cure. It's in it's in the maintenance. God, that makes me feel terrible. Right. But it, it kind of goes back to what you're yeah. saying, right? Because the money is in all of the medicine, all yeah. of the insurance, yeah. all of the mm-hmm. like if somebody I mean, gets cured. Where's their, yeah, they don't make money. Right. Yeah. I mean, the profit motive in, in healthcare is like super weird, which is why, um, and to, to illustrate that point even further, like hospitals, if they actually get you better and healthy so that you don't need them, like they've killed their business model, right? Right. They, they, by the way, to all like the physicians out there, I realize that physicians are not like running around the hospital like floors, like rubbing their hands together, be like, oh, how can we keep Well, the physicians sick? are getting their check. Right, right. right. They're like, so, I'm, I'm treating people, whatever. It's the people above. Kind of. Like, I don't know. It's the people we don't even know. Yeah, and they're sitting in their corner office and they never, they never sit across from a patient and right. like sit with them as they... There is nothing more um, compelling in healthcare than sitting with a patient in their darkest moment. Yeah, it will. Ch- it changes everything about you. It changes everything the way you think about human interaction. The number of times people cry. I had somebody crying in my office today, right? Like I see people cry. I see people like grapple with the most like human of emotions, and I couldn't do that if I was shoving people through at ten minutes a visit. You know? Yeah. You can't do that. You ever get cussed out? <laughs> yes. I've been bit, I've been spit at, I've been scratched, I've been cussed out, I've been belittled, I've feared for my life. It's a weird profession. I cussed out a doctor one time. See, it was I called and I apologized. Um, It was when I thought I had the flu and she told me I was pregnant a second time out of wedlock. (laughs) So I just told her she didn't know what she was talking about. I ran out. She actually followed me to the parking lot just to make sure I was okay. That's that's where I was not nice. And then I did call back and apologize oh. after I'd calmed down. But I've <laughs> so always imagined, sorry. I've always wondered if I'm the only person that acted like that. No, people do that all the time. you have to give news that people don't expect. Yeah, right. And so like, I mean, there is a little bit of an art, like don't be a jerk. Yeah. Right? Like that's my goal. That's I wake up every morning. I'm like, all right, hey, what's up, Allison? Let's not be a jerk today. Yeah. You know, self-talk. Um, but you know, it's a bizarre profession. How long have you had your business? Two and a half years. Okay, and so offline we were talking, and we don't have to. I don't know how open you are with numbers, so I won't say exact numbers. Oh, okay. And let's be let's be transparent. Can we no. be transparent oh. about our relationship? Oh yes, we probably should. Okay, you are a client. That's correct. Of Lillian James. That's right. Right. Yes. So we met well, long before that. Correct. And you were with someone else, yes. and then you eventually came over, right? Of course. And I was very excited because for me, I thought, well, this is just something people should know about. It's just a matter of people knowing about it. Yeah. Which because this is something that is not. Well, I appreciate that, but yeah. this is just not something that is is normal right and that's lack of better words oh my god so that was the hardest part of like selling this so also i don't think i've shared this with you uh so i graduated you know residency or whatever and then because of this loan repayment that i had i had to come back to kansas so i like moved 600 miles away from my network and my colleagues and like right back to kansas city you're in colorado yeah we're in colorado and so we came back we being you and your husband my my husband and i we don't have any pets or children um (laughs) Yeah. intentionally Got at this lot, point yeah. yeah right like we got we got babies it's called the business okay <laughs> um but anyway we started this business without a network or you know does he work like, in the business i mean does every spouse work in their right. small business right. <laughs> it's like it's your business it's my business but uh, he's your support he's team. the highest paid volunteer okay. that we have <laughs> right got it yes. so is my husband yep uh-huh as he builds walls right uh-huh. now yeah, in our that's space. exactly yeah. right that's exactly right okay so you um, started this business so we started but like uh hey pro tip 101 don't start a brick and mortar professional services business in a community that you don't live in right it's really hard and so that was I didn't know the hurdle that it was at the time. I didn't know kind of how much I was setting myself up for failure, but you know, whatever, show up 
But what's interesting is that even though I made a lot of stupid decisions as far as opening a business in a city that I didn't live in, um, what we sell is so needed that we had 30 people pre-enrolled the day that we opened up. Right. We had 30 clients right away. And you're on pause right this second, right? Are you on pause from taking clients? Yes. And you have a new doctor coming in in August. Exactly. Which this will probably get released right by then. And so if not a couple weeks before. So, So reach out to her. Yes. But you are two and a half years old. You made a crap ton of mistakes yeah and you still have had so many clients that you yes. had to pause on taking more clients correct yes we we're full so which proves that the business model is yep. needed yep yeah. does anybody in the city do anything like this oh absolutely um i have a fantastic network of colleagues who are um in the city we meet like quarterly and share best practices and we're on a slack channel together we share resources oh, cool. we help negotiate prices as a group with to okay. make sure that our patients are getting like good transparently priced care from our specialist colleagues out there um, it's the midwest direct primary care alliance so what do the insurance co- what are the insurance <laughs> companies doing as this becomes more popular do they push back at you so they don't really have any leverage against us they don't, but you would imagine, like, with, like, okay, so the only I mean, thing they, I can they think do. compare it really true, is car, right? Tesla. Yeah. yeah. Tesla came in. They want to do everything opposite. Yeah. And, I mean, they went government levels trying yeah. to stop Elon Musk, right? I know, right? Um, the What's interesting is if you look at, like, uh, billboards, I think you've probably seen around town for Spiracare that Blue Cross Blue Shield is doing. So they've essentially offloaded their primary care into a direct primary care clinic that they have owned, purchased, and run. So they have physicians on there. You can come in as often as you need to. I'm not sure on the details. Um, Obviously, I'm not a Spiral Care member. But that's what's interesting is that the the insurers have realized that if you create a fixed cost model for primary care, you provide better service um, at a lower cost. Well, and... Sort of. There's a lot of nuance to that. But anyway. We're in a space, right, where now more than ever... The consumer gets to decide the business model. More and more, yeah. More and more, not 100%, but we get to decide. We we have enough at our hands to do the research on which business model we want to work with. Yeah, but right. does anybody do that with healthcare? I mean, my model, obviously, yes, but... I would say your model's proving that somebody does. Yeah. Right? Yes, and more and more people do. And I imagine it's just a matter of time before your model is... Yeah. So what's your plan? As you're, so now you have a proven business model in two, two and a half years, ooh, right? Ooh. Bringing out another doctor, but what's growth look like ooh. in this? Oh, God. Um, I, so I love these business conversations. I was totally yeah. ill-equipped to be a business owner. Yeah. I only realized I owned a business six months after opening. Oh, that's it's like, funny. Yeah, I was like, oh. <laughs> you went and educated yourself on business, though, because oh, when I ran huge. into you, you were at a cohort yes. that helped you figure out some of the business oh, stuff, yes. right? Which Absolutely. is kind of what I did, too. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what every good... I mean, every successful business owner like realizes there's a lot of... I don't think a lot of people in the medical industry do it, though. No, no. Well, because they're very smart, of course. So why would they need to educate themselves? Right. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But no, uh, (laughs) I love talking about this business stuff um, because it's a a side of my mind. It's like a puzzle. Like the medical stuff at this point is easy, right? Like I have a decade of training to to support that and resources at hand that are very black and white and explicit about what we should be doing. Business is a whole different beast. It's nuance. It's, it's the whims of people. Um, it's, uh, putting the customer first, it's hiring the right people, it's culture. It's, it's, it's super interesting. So growth to me means like, how do we, how do we hold on to that? How do we make sure we continue to have great people working for us at the clinic? How do we make sure that we continue to always put our patients first right. and not just like lip service, but rather like 
there is always a way to say yes to a patient. Always. Right. There is no reason we should ever say no, right. frankly. I mean, granted, I'm not going to give anybody opioids. Right. Like We're going to get to opioids yeah. in a minute. <laughs> yeah, we got it. Because girl. you actually yeah. do prescribe medicine out of your office. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah. Right. Which I think was is a misconception. Some people don't believe that your primary care doctor can dis- yeah. prescribe as, as many things as you can prescribe, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of times they prefer... Sp- other oh other places through insurance refer specialists to get more insurance yes, money yes, 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 yes. all that. that goes down a whole thing right um your primary care doctor if anybody's listening is like oh yeah i get referrals you know i need to see my dermatologist i need to see my endocrinologist i need to see my blah 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 that is just proof that your primary care doctor is just overworked frankly right um when a primary care doctor is working at their fullest potential at their full scope of training you they do not really need to refer out unless there's an explicit need that a specialist like can address surgery like a surgery right like, like a, your brain needs surgery or something. Your brain, please don't make me do brain surgery please <laughs> uh true story so we had a lady who established care with us um and she's in her 50s and she hadn't seen a doctor for you know five or ten years just for all the reasons that we've kind of discussed she doesn't have access to care didn't have insurance didn't know what to do thought it was too expensive and so she went to um like a retail clinic type urgent care minute clinic type thing yeah. um six, eight weeks ago and she had a cough and she was given a pack and was, you know, told to go home or whatever. Um, she progressively had more and more trouble breathing. Uh, she was gaining weight. She couldn't walk to her car. She couldn't walk around her house and she shows up in my clinic and frankly is in, is in heart failure. You know, this was something where she didn't, she couldn't follow up with that same person. She felt like she didn't have anyone to turn to. And frankly, and it's not that this person missed the diagnosis to start with, because sometimes things aren't obvious, but where is that continuity, right? Right. So new diagnosis, heart failure, and we work with her to, you know, we start the right medicines. She was stable. She didn't have to be hospitalized. We met with her several times a week, you know, helped coach her through it. And, you know, I don't need to refer to a cardiologist to do that. Yeah. I have time and I have experience and I have the personal relationship with that woman that she knows that if things were to go wrong, she would call me. And at that point we would say, you know, maybe we do need help, but a good primary care doctor does not need to involve specialists as often as the current U S healthcare system does. And it actually leads to poor health outcomes. What? what? Sorry to not, our current system leads to poor health outcomes, not using primary care doctors. Sorry. I got it. No, you got me. Yeah. I know what you were saying. I wanted to go down this urgent care space because urgent cares just all popped up one day it mm-hmm, feels like right mm-hmm. like just all of a sudden they were everywhere they're highly profitable there are like five within walking distance from my house i live over off shamish parkway oh, good. so very, like you're so well taken care of very well taken care yes. of and i've got a story on that in a second yeah. but um like where does that fall in all of this because all of a sudden they weren't here one day and then they were all here the next day it's because they're highly profitable and they figured out that essentially you know yeah. I don't know why it took healthcare this long to figure out, but nobody wants to go to the doctor, you know, between nine and five. Right. You're at work. Right. But all doctors work nine to five. You know why? Because insurance reimburses the same for a nine o'clock appointment as they would for like a 7 p.m. appointment. Right. So what doctor is going to be like, oh, I choose to stay away from my family and my friends like, yeah, so I can work evenings or whatever. So the urgent cares have basically realizes they've captured this market of like immediate access walk in. And, and yes, it's the reimbursement rate is still the same. But if you build your business model around lower paid um, providers like NPs, PAs and things like that with an overseeing physician, you can crank out a lot more capacity and make a lot of revenue without really having to do any 
of the sort of that big picture management of somebody like you know again they walk in they want a z-pack it's easy to give somebody a z-pack get them out the door who cares about right. antimicrobial resistance and your microbiome and, and they were very up. easily they worked with a lot of the insurance companies to do mm-hmm. things like i know with my kids sports right we went you went to mm-hmm. one of the big mm-hmm. box mm-hmm. the big box general stores get the physical and get yeah. get the physical which they call free but really your insurance right Pushes nothing is free right. we got to retire the word free man right. like especially in healthcare. oh god what, I heard something on the way here. There's somebody was like, oh, so, so-and-so is, oh, free uh, free college education. Like, it's, it's real big in um, in politics right now. Everybody wants to give people free college education. Like, it is not free. Like, mm-hmm. we are just going to have to find a different way to pay for it that is not on an individual basis. But that's not sexy and nuanced and doesn't make a news right. clip. So whatever. Right. Get out of my face with that. <laughs> with your algorithms. Your algorithms <sighs> won't hit. Uh, I will tell, so the, so the downplay on the urgent care is you don't get that big picture. It's always somebody different is what I found. Yeah. Oh, of course. I went to an urgent care. This is a really weird, you're going to be like, next time, just call me and I will call you next time. (laughs) But this was a, uh, this is a, you want to hear my weird medical condition? What do you think? This is all I get. I tell people I'm a doctor. They're like, let me tell you about the time. Can I tell you about this? It was on my butt. I'm like, all right, go for it. I'm just being such a stereotype right now. I get too much earwax. Oh, everybody. Like, that's so common. Is Don't it a be thing? embarrassed about your earwax. Oh, God. I get a lot of earwax. And oh, people are so ashamed of their earwax. So I, I I, got allergies. God, this was like a couple months ago. But I thought it was an earache. And I thought that I was having to get on an airplane the next day. Ooh. So I went in. Yeah. And they cleaned. And they're like, it's just, just allergies. Take this stuff. But we're going to go ahead. And I had put all this, like drops you know yeah, self-diagnosed yeah, yeah. myself so it was real soft on this one ear they're like well we'll go ahead and scrape it out anyways because you have a ton of earwax I'm like okay cool whatever and then I went on the airplane I went on my trip whatever and I came back and I just felt like one of my ears was way cleaner than the others mm-hmm. and so again I the girl at the urgent care had said well if you just put this I think it was DeBronx in yeah, your yeah. other ear it'll clean itself uh, DeBronx out. different than the pizza company DeBronx, DeBronx. whatever it was <laughs> yeah. whatever it was uh I'm gonna tell you guys not yeah. to do it because yeah. maybe it's just uh-huh. me but so when I got back, I told my husband, I'm like, this ear just feels so clean. I just want this ear to feel the same. Yeah. So poured all this stuff in there. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I was crying. I thought I lost my hearing. Yeah, yeah. It totally clouds up. It, like it bubbles. It was it, it so bad. Yeah. So the minute the one in the grocery store opened, because that's the one I went to. Yeah. I went there. And of course, yes, there was no... There was no patient pattern on what had happened before. And yeah. it's a whole different lady. And she didn't yeah. even know who I was talking about. Yeah. And, you know, because that was like a Thursday night. This is a Sunday morning. Yeah. And so I was like, well, will you, will you clean out my ear? And she's like, well, how did she do it? I'm like, she's like, did she use this tool or this tool? And I was like, oh, geez. that tool. Well, the next thing I know, she's like, I can't. I think you have an infection. It's bleeding. Da, da, da. After she put the tool in your ear? Yeah. Dude, those things are rough. She cut me. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah, that's what happens. But when I didn't know that when yeah. I was there because she yeah. just tells me it's bleeding. She's not going to touch. Yeah. She's not going to charge me either, right? Which should have been my... But I still couldn't hear. And now my like equilibrium's off. Oh, so then girl. I go to another one that's on the way. And they did the... Whole, like the girl looked at it and she's like, she cut you. Yeah. And they did the whole thing where they pour the, the water, water in, yeah, yeah. which was a, yeah. which was a fine fix. Yeah. But to your point with the continuity, I didn't even think that through. Right. I just went to the same place and yeah. figured, OK, they already no. did it one time. Yeah. But it's a whole new person. They don't understand. Yes. I was trying to explain it was allergies like it was a whole thing. She's looking at me like I don't need to self-diagnose myself. when really it was coming from the person that was there last. But there was no record of it. it drives me crazy. See, yes, all that. I hate that. How does, uh, this is something else I don't understand about medical, and I wonder how your business model mm. plays into this. Okay, so we're going to get to opiates in a second because I'm fast fascinated <laughs> with your opinion on this. Okay, I go. don't know it yet. Yeah, go. But I imagine that 
opiates got so bad because of what I'm about to ask. Okay. I feel like I can't even like, let's say, get a small $200 loan and then go and look at a car dealership without them knowing, right? Like they know what I did yeah. two hours ago oh, right here because yeah. of my credit report, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But essentially in medicine, <laughs> I can go to you, I can go to you, uh-huh. I can go to you, uh-huh. I can go to you, and there's no continuity. Uh-huh. Oh no. Like we already know continuity because we all have a credit report. Oh honey, it gets creepier, right? Like your phone, like Google knows where I am right now and they're probably gonna send me an ad like, you know, on my way home for something that I'm driving by, right? Right. Like, right? We're but that why surveilled. aren't we doing it in medical? Uh, two very basic reasons um and i'll I'll be very like view from above here so number one is privacy like there are like decently strong privacy laws um and number two is that there is no financial incentive for healthcare systems to talk to one another because if you silo within a healthcare system uh, all your care stays in that healthcare system and they they reap the rewards for that and and by system it means both like the conglomerates but also the ehrs the electronic health records that that system uses um it is in their best interest to not communicate with other ones because then they can um i know we have a large uh, ehr maker here in the metro who will remain nameless but you know you can say well so and so and so and so uses you know this ehr so you should buy this one too so that you can communicate on the back end um, there was some progress made with the Affordable Care Act and trying to get some like metadata to be able to be shared in sort of a very standard format. Um, but, but it's like any bureaucratic government regulation is like every company is going to find a way to skirt it so that they really don't have to do that thing. Um, it is brutal. And I think the solution to it, and this is part of like this part of what I do, this is where my mindset is, yeah. is the, the patient should own their record. Like you should have this on your cell phone, Aaron, like you should be able to pull up the, the PDF, even if it's a PDF or hopefully it's more interactive than a PDF. But like I was in on, you know, Thursday, like here's my note. And so right. then the, like, I own this, look at it. Here's my record. Like that physician could then enter a record either into your app on your phone or through like a shared portal through their system. And then it zoop, is right into your record. Your labs are there, your radiology's there, like all that stuff. And it's in a format that's decipherable. This doesn't happen in medicine. It's, it's a, it's a, it's crazy because it happens in every other thing. And I get the privacy laws, but there are privacy laws around financials. Oh, I know. And stuff like that too. It's money. It's all, it's about power and money. But is that how we got to the opioid crisis? (laughs) Oh, pivot. Like that. (laughs) Because it seems like from my non-medical view, that if I'm addicted to Oxycontin, I go it's a great to one. great high. <laughs> thank, yeah, thank uh-huh. you. Uh, I was choosing one. I'm not. <laughs> yep. Crush uh, it up, snort it. It's really great. Very potent. I did get a little bit during my C-section, so I could see. I I just luckily don't have an addictive personality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, Oxycontin. That's just the one I probably know. I'm addicted to that. I can go and I can tell a story to three or four different people yeah. as long as they're not connected. Yep. And it becomes very easy uh-huh. to learn what to say to get yep. the Oxycontin, right? Uh-huh. Is that how we ended up having the crisis that we're having? I mean, yeah. I mean, yes, that that's, I think, part of the crisis. That's how we made doctors drug dealers, basically. Um, the other part of the crisis is that, like, there are, like, a ton of social problems in the U.S. that we are not addressing mm-hmm. um, that lead people to sort of being isolated, feeling like there's no hope, um, setting up the sort of perfect storm for being, you know, to having addiction or to, an addiction is certainly a disease and there's a lot of genetic predisposition, but there's a lot of societal factors and like environmental circumstances. Like, you know, what was your childhood like? Like, do you have stable family and adults in your household? Do you, even if it's on your household, is there an adult that you can like connect with that sort of gives you that love and hope and, and whatnot? And so 
there's a lot in the environment that can predispose people to drug addiction and, and whatnot that, I mean, it just sucks. And there's not an easy cure for that either. Okay, but so drug addiction was always looked at for years and years and years as going on the corner and buying crack. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I still don't think that everybody would call, I think we're getting there, but I don't think that a housewife in Johnson County uh, that's yeah. popping three or four, even mm-hmm. Xanax a day, mm-hmm. sees that as a drug addiction. Right. Although you just said how doctors became drug dealers. Drug dealers. Oh, yeah, well, absolutely. We are. So where's the disconnect? <laughs> Uh, I say this to my patients, and this is why I also like running my own business is that I get to set my own rules. But every patient who gets a controlled substance from me, like we go through an entire set of expectations. Like these are essentially the rules of me prescribing them. I I am fully in control. There's no negotiation here. Like these are the rules you either accept or you don't. And I joke with each person. I say, this keeps me from becoming a drug dealer. Like plain and simple. Like if we play by these rules, like we will be safe and like we'll be checking in and there's a lot of uh, checks and balances. And it does make people people feel bad who are using these appropriately. It really, it does. And that that sucks because people do have pain and we do need to treat that. But um, yeah, no, I just, I'm like, these are the rules. Like, because ultimately if I, somebody walks in my office and they're pounding Xanax and they're pounding Oxycontin and they're pounding Oxycodone and they, for whatever reason, also have hydrocodone on board. And then, oh, by the way, they can't sleep because they're too amped up. So they've got an Ambien and then they can't focus. So they got an Adderall. Like, oh my God, like the, the level of your chemistry is like on the level of like drug addiction. And as a doctor, how much do you study brain chemistry? A lot. Do you guys? A lot. Yeah. Um, so primary doctors can prescribe all of those. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. how, what is the difference of what they study brain chemistry wise versus a primary doctor? So the, the foundation of knowledge is the same between the two. Okay. Um, it's that psychiatrists go through a different residency training program with more specialty on mental health. And okay. Um, but there's a lot, I do a ton of psychiatry within my practice for the same reasons I outlined, like with the cardiology example, like there is a lot of stuff that a primary care doctor can do. And when you have a relationship the way that we do with our patients, like actually we can probably do a better job in managing mental illness, um, by keeping talking to them daily, Mm -hmm. monthly, whatever it needs to be. Yeah. What about gut health? Oh, geez. What's your question? Like for real? I'll give you my, I'll give you another medical condition. Okay. So I've always ate real shitty. I'm just to be real honest with you. By the way, for the record, I brought cookies to this interview. <laughs> I'm so. so excited about it. Uh, I didn't gain weight until I turned 36, right? So I could eat and drink anything and everything. I drink lots and lots of alcohol, uh, just like in a social setting, never like pounding it by myself, sure. but in a social setting and eat anything because yep. I wasn't gaining weight for years. And years ago, when I was about 32, I started having really bad um, really bad anxiety mm-hmm. and really bad stomach pains together. Mm-hmm. And I remember I kept going in and they did all sorts of tests mm-hmm. and I had one doctor at the time. So this would, God, this was seven years ago. And she says it has to do with your gut health. She goes, but nobody's talking about it yet, but just wait. And I said, okay. She goes, there's, there's stuff that goes on. Everybody's telling you it's your serotonin in your brain. There's mm-hmm, serotonin mm-hmm. that goes with your gut health. Yeah. She was super young, straight out yeah. of college. Right. And she's like, none of these guys here will listen to me guys girls whoever like yeah, the older yeah. the older doctors she's like but just just do some research on it and if you have questions here's my number she's yeah. like and so i remember that i obviously didn't pay attention i kept eating da, 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 right because <laughs> nobody like diagnosed me something right, with right. it she said that in passing yeah and she wasn't really calling the shots at this point sure yeah 
she could have been arrested. I don't know what she was because I didn't know. Well, she's on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> it might have been on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember her saying that. And then now I feel like everywhere I'm turning, people are talking about gut health. Yeah, yeah. So is it a trend or is it a thing or what are your thoughts on it? It is a thing that is now a trend. It's a trend that came from a thing. Um, So the, so I, two things. So number one, as far as like the, the emotional axis of the gut, like absolutely. I think the gut is the second emotional center. Um, Anxiety, stress, et cetera, is going to manifest in gut problems, like by and large. Um, beyond that though, uh, we are, I think getting a greater and greater appreciation of like the bacterial element of like, like there are more bacterial cells on your body than there are human cells. And so we really have to treat our bacterial friends as friends because they really are symbiotic and we can't be torching them or giving them a crappy food or things like that because we really want them to thrive in a good way because they are helping us thrive in a good way. And that what, so that's sort of the nugget of like, that's the thing is that we, the microbiome is important. No, what's happened from that is that everybody's gone cuckoo and like, well, microbiome this and microbiome that and people have capitalized on it and made it into a fad and like they're selling things based on it. And, and like the, the science isn't there to like figure out exactly what to do with that knowledge or how to best set people up for success other than the really basic stuff that we've always known, which is like, get good rest, drink water, <laughs> like don't yeah. drink too much alcohol eat you know plant-based whole food diet type things like that's that's gonna be like accurate now it's gonna be accurate in like 10 years yeah so you think it's a thing but it's just become more of a a trend it's a thing but like most things it sort of got swiped by commercialization and is now being marketed to people as something that they can you know pay money to to fix or cure or whatever I don't I'm an old man like I'm seriously an old man deep inside and I'm yelling at kids standing on my lawn like <laughs> while you read your newspaper yeah while I read my newspaper um I don't know why I thought about this because you said commercialization I thought but and you probably don't know the answer to this but why That's do drug right. companies run commercials at all oh god who does does anyone ever come into you That's and like say I saw the commercial question. oh yes they do of course yeah I mean, that's the point of the commercial. But right? the commercial to me, all I hear is the bad things. It could make you go blind. It could. I never understand what it's actually going to help me with. Did you know that there's legislation federally that was introduced that would require um, those pharmaceutical companies to put the price also on the commercial? Oh, I did not know <laughs> that. That would be terrible. It'd be like, da, 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 you know, let's cure your rheumatoid arthritis for yeah. 10 grand a month. Like, it would be brutal. But people actually come in and say, I saw this commercial. Can mm-hmm. I have that? Yeah. And what do you say? Yes, for ten grand a month. <laughs> it's up to you, man. They had yeah. to pay for that commercial, right? Like, I don't know. Like, so sure. those commercials. I mean, I guess they're working. That's why they keep running them, right? I suppose so. I actually, I was at O'Hare um, the other day, and there was some pharmaceutical conference, and there was a uh, rotating billboard in O'Hare, which I didn't even know they had those inside of airports until I was like staring at. They're this redoing one. that airport like, right now. I are think. they? Is yeah. That, okay. They're so, doing a lot of fancy things. There. Yeah, it was very fancy, <laughs> and I'm like standing there and I'm watching. It's like pharmaceutical ad, pharmaceutical ad pharmaceutical ad pharmaceutical ad and I'm like oh my god what is going on so I like snapped a picture of all of them and put it on Twitter and I'm like guys like I'm a physician and this is making me like this is nauseating to right. see these in the airport like could you spend a little bit like can you imagine how much they spent for that no. like, can you spend a little bit less on that so that my patients can actually afford your medicine by the way I'll find out about it and like we'll 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 figure it out if it's good for them right like you kind of have to prove the science for us to use it like it's not about the marketing and somebody responded to the tweet and they're like, well, they do it because it works. I'm like, does it like, does it really, it's proven to work or is this just a huge waste of money? I don't know. I don't know why they do it. I don't know if it works. You're in marketing. That's your answer more no, than mine. Well, so, <laughs> I think 
I think you can always tell which industries have too much marketing dollars. Oh, God. Because they're the ones doing the billboards on the side roads nobody drives down, right? Yeah. So they're doing the big highways, and then they're like, we'll take the 10 extra ones too, right? <laughs> Which is usually hospitals, yeah. pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. colleges. Not us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But so the big, big ones yeah. that we don't understand how the money works up top, right? Mm. So essentially what they do is they say, okay, we've got this much money we're going to put into our marketing budget because Mm -hmm. we have to get rid of this much money. Did you see the other day uh, to business, this has nothing to do with medical. um, It was something like $12 billion Amazon did last year Uh, in zero taxes. Yeah, they're not going to pay taxes. Because of the way that the laws are written, which is how I imagine the marketing dollars. As a marketing company, I know in December, December is always my biggest month because everybody offshores their money to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So... I understand how it works. To me, I, from my marketing point of view, I think it's crazy tactics. You could take those dollars and do, use them much better. Mm -hmm. I wonder why a pharmaceutical company would have to advertise it all if it really worked as well as it did. Bingo. Right? Yeah. So it it just seems like such a disconnect. Well, I mean, it seems really hard to generate business for a chemotherapy drug. Right. Right. Right, like you're getting it because you have cancer. Right. And theoretically, an oncologist should be making the rational decision based on science and principles, not marketing. Have you heard about these places? I'm sure you have. Um, And there's a couple in Kansas City. They're like med spas for chemotherapy. No, I haven't. There's 13 in the country, and I wish I knew what they were called. I know somebody that's um, an investor in them. But essentially, uh, they went to a ton of chemo patients and kind of the same thing they said last thing you want to do is find somewhere to park your car go into a stale hospital be uncomfortable and sit there for hours on end getting chemotherapy in a hard chair so uh, this company has created med spa like type situations for chemotherapy and other things like that very much disrupting the industry like your company is and so as things continue like this what do we see happening for your typical hospital and things because there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces of disruption going on yeah. that it almost seems like it's just a matter of time before we have a taxi uber situation oh god or a netflix yes. blockbuster situation uh, and that's exactly i mean people use that all the time with direct primary care is that we're the netflix of healthcare. yeah um because we we put the power back into the consumer's hand and we do right. it in a way that's affordable and transparent and frankly actually cares about people um you know, I, I, it's hard for me to say what's going to happen with hospitals and whatnot, because like we need them. You know, I still work at hospitals. I still think they provide a tremendously valuable service. Uh, we just need to rethink the the business model behind them because it, it. yes, I'm a business owner. Yes, I'm in healthcare. Yes, I'm a physician and I get paid. But it does sicken me a little bit to think of the amount of money that's made off of people's ill health. Yeah. Um, or the people that can't afford it. So they just don't. Yeah. All of that. Right. Like right. that in. Yeah. Um, and so the way that, that we've designed our practice is, again, to align our incentives with our patients in that we both are trying to get somebody as healthy as possible. Because selfishly, if somebody's very healthy and they don't come in to see me and I still get paid every month, that's great for me. That's right. great for them. They're healthy, right? So that's that's an aligned incentive. Getting paid per visit, a, a different incentive would be like if I got paid per visit, I would want more visits. I would want people right. to be sicker. And so part of it is that, like changing the profit motive to instead of just a fee for service, like as you pay as you go, to more of like a capitated, like here's your population of people, keep them healthy. Right. What sucks is that we've tried that in the past and it really, it doesn't work. And what hospitals end up doing is just sort of gaming it and getting rid of sick people. Like they kick yeah. them out of the pool, which then makes your population look healthier and then you get more money. And so 
you know, I, I would love to see sort of a basement level of insurance for everybody in the United States. Like medical bills are the leading cause of bankruptcy in the United States. And that to me is just devastating. Yeah. I don't think we should go bankrupt trying to be healthy. Um, and so I would love to see like a basement level of healthcare. I don't necessarily think Medicare for all quote unquote, cause I know that's really sexy right now. I don't think that makes a lot of sense, but I think that there is the, we can come up with a public option so that people can, uh, like I was saying earlier with insurance, avoid catastrophic financial loss, right? right. That, that's what insurance should be about. Um, and then from there, try and make primary care sort of more of a community centric, like modeling after what we're doing, where we actually relate to people, take care of people, there's a relationship and all that. Um, and then just kind of take it from there. So I, I don't know. Um, we're trying to disrupt everything. We're trying to make it transparent. We're trying to make, it has to be, doctors have to work for patients, for patients to actually have a good experience. That's How it. many of the doctors you graduated with? No names. What percentage were in it for the patients versus oh, the money? God. Ooh, percent wise, or ooh, say God. out of ten, how many were in it for? I don't know the money versus the patients. More than I would like, we'll put it that way. We're in it for the yeah, money. Yeah, way more than which I makes would it like. tough to yeah. get to where you want to get to. Yep, exactly. Right, and and again, this is why kids want to be doctors when they grow up. They right. look at people who have money and power, and they say, "That's my job. That's what I'm right. going to do." And then they follow that dream, and by the time they hit you know, 27, 28, 29, 30, and they've been in school their whole life and they haven't, you know, their 20s have been enveloped in medical training. They feel very entitled to right. that payout, rightly or wrongly. That's just kind of what they've been indoctrinated to believe. And so, you know, when you, <laughs> I make fun of dermatologists all the time, but when you're a dermatologist, like you graduated at the top of your class, you, you know, worked hard and you've been told that, you know, as a dermatologist, you're going to work a really light schedule and you're going to make, you know, upwards of half a million dollars a year, or excuse me, $500 million. Or like, I'm making up numbers now. I'm trying, what am I trying to say? $5 million to like, like, I don't know what I'm trying to you say. You make a lot of money. Thank you. That's all I really <laughs> want to say. It's could could you get a dermatologist consult? How much do you guys make for real? Um, but we make fun of derm uh, people because like the the stereotype is that they are like the smartest people in the class, which means that they don't necessarily have like the best like you know like social skills. People skills. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, though I do know some very nice dermatologists. Got it. Um, but anyway, uh, and then they make boatloads of money and only work like half a day. You know. What about uh, what are the feet doctor called? Podiatrists. I've heard that they're the ones with god complexes. Oh, who knows. That's why I heard that from two different people that sold medical stuff. Interesting. They said it was always those were the the least amount, the least doctors they wanted to go to because they always had the God complexes. Fascinating. Which was weird to me. Maybe I should meet more podiatrists the, yeah. so I could stereotype them better. So you should hang out with podiatrists. Have you um, ever uh, taken, you probably didn't because you were, were getting your loans written off and you were smart, but the Dave Ramsey class. Do you have any uh, familiarity I know about, with it? I know about, yeah, know about it. It was, we just finished it. My husband oh, and I cool. took it. And uh, it was very interesting that you bring up the insurance part because what he essentially does is he teaches how to be completely out of debt yeah. so that you only use insurance for that very huge stuff because you should have enough money. That's correct. Because you have no debt you're paying off. Yes. To only if there's a major thing. So yes. you have a very, very high premium. Yeah. Uh, high deductible. High deductible. Yeah. Low premium. Um, low premium, high deductible, because you'll be able to cover whatever you need yeah. to, and it's just the catastrophic stuff. Yes. Which seems like through that class, like common sense. It which is, is exactly sense. what you're saying. But nobody has that. Nobody's common sense. You know that. Like, common sense is not common. Um, I don't think that nobody has common sense. I think we've just been taught 100% opposite. Yes. And, and you so we haven't thought it through. It. Yeah. What's, so, to take that further, what's fascinating to me is that in my work, I do some consulting with like tech companies. And so you, 
I have spoken with people who make far more money than I will ever make doing far more nebulous things. I don't really understand what they do and they have lots of money and it's very right. weird. But anyway, um, what's interesting is listening to that conversations on people who make that much, like enough money that like, I don't know even how you would think about even spending it in a right. lifetime, right? They still negotiate based on their healthcare benefits. These people who make yeah. gobs of money like 40 grand a day right they go to office they brush their teeth they make you know 10 grand yeah. or whatever like those people are still worried about their health care costs that's and so if crazy. that is the truth of america either they're really dumb and shouldn't be paid that well which is entirely possible yeah or we've got a really big problem <laughs> with our right industry if like like gazillionaires cannot afford health care right that's whatever. so crazy I, uh, I pay at the, our company, I pay 100% on our insurance benefits. Oh, my God. And so we just actually, July 1st, we go up or we get renewed or whatever yeah. it is. And we're going up 11%. Of course. And to me, I thought that we were starting to get insurance a little more under control no. until I got this phone call. Yeah. And it seems like it's a bigger mess than ever. Yes, it is. So I have no answer for that. So when are you going to run for president? Yeah, right. I'm not a very good politician. <laughs> Um, is the problem. Um, I, I don't speak my mind very vocally, but I speak it far too much to be a good politician. Um, so yeah, I want to be, so taking on the old man visualization, yeah. my internal, you know, spirit animal of being an old man. I am like the Carl Rove. I would like to be the Carl Rove type, you know, like in the shadows doing weird stuff and like, you know, speaking in people's ears and be like, Hey, you should do this. Like, you know, like, like on Scandal, where they do it all behind the scenes. Yeah, it's like behind the scenes. I'll be yeah. like, like, I want you to meet my friend. Like, we got to do some, like, you know. Right, you just want to be behind the scenes. Yeah, I don't want to, yeah, yeah. I, I like it. Yeah, I know. I don't, my, Those I don't, are the people calling the shots anyways. Uh, hello, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Um, besides, I'm not pretty, or no, I mean, like, I don't do makeup. My hair, You're I don't actually know, very I don't know pretty, what to do. Well, it's, I'm You're not, just naturally pretty, must be nice. Yes, it must be nice. Um, no, I haven't figured out what to do with my hair. Um, and so... Uh, I don't know what politicians you're looking at, but the ones I've well, seen are not. But it's pretty. like a helmet. Like they turn their head and their hair doesn't move. I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> like you should, like I said, I drove over here and like my windows were down and my hair was going everywhere. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be weird when I get out of this car. <laughs> what is the, uh, I think you look perfect, <laughs> okay, but whatever. What is the, uh, what's the piece of advice you have? Say somebody wants Somebody is in a skill, right? Like whether it be doctor, dentist, chiropractor, sure. a skill like that, a service skill. Um, but they want to go into business for themselves. What sure. is the piece of advice you have? Because back to where you don't yeah. learn, learn business. That What's the piece of advice to make them a good business person as, as good as they are at their skill? Have you thought about this like in general with your business and kind of how you learned? Not to answer a question with a question because I have an answer, but... Yeah, yeah like, I yeah I want to hear mm, yours, and then I'll okay. tell you mine. Oh, good. I'll show you mine first. Okay. Okay. Sounds right. good. Um, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> That's how this works. It's got super weird. Um, I, I think that there are certain people who probably shouldn't go into business for themselves, and I and I think that if you're asking those questions and you're like, how do I do this, and want a roadmap. Um, that maybe you aren't the type that needs to do that. I read a really good quote in my newspaper oh. uh, recently that said that, you know, cookbooks, uh, recipes make cooks. Um, but what we really want are chefs. Right. Right. And so I think as a, as a, as a business person, you need to be a chef. And you need to have like that bigger picture. And yes, there are cookbooks for like getting back to the basics and kind of getting some standard, you know, this is how you make a roux or whatever. But ultimately, if you're reading a cookbook, like 
you're reading a cookbook, right? You're, you're, you're not going to build a business that has any sort of impact or like is going to disrupt things or is really going to change the paradigm. And that's fine, right? Like, I mean, there are literally franchises. Like you read a cookbook, right. you make a business and franchises are great. And I actually love them quite a bit and I go to them, but um, I think franchises are great for business yeah. people that don't want to do all the creative. Yeah, exactly. Um, but at the same time, like from a physician standpoint or a professional services standpoint, you're selling yourself, yeah. which kind of feels weird. But going back to, I'll show you mine. If you show yeah. me yours, yeah, I'm selling myself. This is what I'm doing. But you are, yeah, exactly. Um, and that that's hard to grapple with, actually, for me. Um, but regardless, if you're a professional, you're selling yourself. You need to be okay, number one, okay with that, and you're also going to need to be okay with like you need to build a unique brand because right. people are coming for you. They're not. I mean, lawyers are a dime a dozen, doctors are a dime a dozen. They right. need to find you. Social media companies are a dime a dozen. Sorry. No, it's fine. They, it it's true. Uh, my thing is, is I think that. You have to know if you're ready for the entrepreneur journey. Oh, God, yes. Because it is a whole different journey than doing the service. Mm -hmm. And if you believe that is you, you have to learn. You have to intentionally learn the stuff you don't want to learn, like the accounting. Yep. Because you have to have a good enough grasp on that. You can't just hire (laughs) people for it. You have to have a grasp. You have to understand it. Otherwise, you're going to get fleeced. Yeah, frankly, you're get, which is what happened to me. I got screwed over really bad, yeah. right? And so, because I didn't have a grasp. So, so I did, yeah. kind of like what you did. I went yeah. through a cohort. Yep. Read a Too lot late. of books. Like yeah. the small, there's a lot of small business development centers. I mean, there's federal funding for small business development centers right. across the U.S. Like they are literal like business coaches. They right. are out there. They're free. It's a good resource. There are tons of books. Lots of um, podcasts. Lots of, God, lots of podcasts. Yeah. Um, uh, Meetup has a ton of entrepreneurial groups on yeah. it. Just surround yourself with people who are doing what you want to do and just keep Educate asking yourself. questions. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Always ask. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Erin. I really enjoyed this. That is it for this week's cocktail hour. Do you want to hear from your favorite local businesswoman? Do you know a woman in business who is shaking shit up? Send your recommendations to HeyGirl at CocktailHourPodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe and share our podcast with your friends. We share our stories to motivate and inspire you. So spread the love around. Until next time, I'm Erin Folk. Keep your class and your glass raised. And we'll see you at the next cocktail hour. Thanks, Allison. Bye. Bye. Thank you.